I invite you to be finding Psalm 73 in your Bible. Psalm 73, and if you'll notice in your bulletin, uh, you have a prayer list as an insert. You also have a kind of a fill-in-the-blank outline that uh, you can or don't have to fill it out, but if you'd like to follow along, it might help you keep uh, what we're saying organized a little better, and a little bit later you can go back and use it. But the last couple of weeks I've had... Uh, Quite a bit left over when I finish my sermons. Uh, I try to hold my sermons between 40 and uh, 50 minutes, and sometimes it's a little less, sometimes it's a little more, but uh, sometimes there's extra things that don't get into the sermon that I've studied, and so I've included some questions for reflection and some, uh, some extra scriptures to read. Scripture tells us in the parable of the sower that the seed is God's word, and Satan tries to take the seed out of our hearts before it can take root. And even as Christians, when the word is given to us on Sunday morning, from the moment it's given, Satan does what he can to distract us to pull that out. And so uh, this, these are just study tools, and we may not have one every week, but uh, these were just some questions that I thought of and some other uh, scriptures that we, uh, that we won't use in the sermon today, but they go along with this lesson. But Psalm 73 is going to be our text this morning. But before we get there, let me tell you a little story. Once upon a time, six blind men decided that they wanted to go to the zoo. And so they hired a guide to tell them all about the exotic animals that they couldn't see. And when they came to the elephants, the zookeeper wanted them to have more than a verbal description so he allowed them each to fill the elephant. And since the elephant was large and the zookeeper had a limited amount of time, he let each man touch one part of the giant mammal. The first blind man reached out and his hand grabbed the elephant's tail. Aha, he said. The elephant's like a big rope. <laughs> the second man felt the massive elephant's leg. And he looked strange. No rope was that big. And he said, no, no, the, the elephant is like a large tree or, or a large log. He, he was sure of this. The third blind man walked up and he ran straight into the elephant's side. And he said, the elephant is really one big wall. Another one of the blind men reached out and he took hold of the elephant's ear. And when he did, I guess it tickled the elephant's ear because he wiggled it. And he said, all the elephants like a great big fan. And then the fifth blind man decided the first four were a little bit crazy. Uh, they couldn't all be describing the same creature. So he carefully walked up and he put out his hand. And when he did, the elephant reached out and grabbed it with his trunk. And so the man grinned, he said, well, it's obvious the elephant is just like a big, huge snake. The final man was totally confused. He walked up to the elephant, he reaches out, and he grabbed a tusk. And he paused and said, well, actually, the elephant is like a sword. Well, the guide and the zookeeper got a kick out of this because it was obviously... None of the men got a complete picture of 
what the elephant was. They just all saw that elephant from a limited perspective. Their vision was limited. And, and I've asked the question this morning, the title of our sermon is, Are You Farsighted, Nearsighted, or Right-Sighted? We're going to talk about a man named Asaph in the 73rd Psalm. Bree and I read this psalm last week, and it's kind of been in my mind ever since. Uh, you'll find, if you dig into psalms a little bit, that the next 10 or 11 psalms were written by Asaph. Asaph was a temple singer. He was a musician. Uh, you'll also notice in your Bible, it's Psalm uh, 73. It says this is book 3. of the What we know as the book of psalms is divided into five books. We don't know who divided them that way. We don't know why. Some people speculate it is to correspond to the first five books of the Pentateuch, uh, but we don't know why they're that way. Uh, if you have access to our Facebook page, or, and even in, our, in the ponderings today, uh, you'll see how those, uh, six, those five books are broken down, which psalms are in what book and what each section is about. So we won't take time to do that here but I want to tell us about a man. We're going to be talking about a man who almost lost his faith in God. He was a faithful man. He was a precious man. But he almost walked away from God. And as we start reading this psalm, we're going to find out about Asaph and the struggle that he had. And the first thing we're going to see in the first part of this psalm is Asaph's faltering faith. Asaph's faltering faith. In the first part of this psalm, Asaph is going to look at things from man's perspective. Let's start reading the first three verses. <coughs> Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph makes his thesis statement in the very first verse. You guys remember when you had to write essays and themes and you had to start with a thesis statement? I guess they still teach people to write thesis statements. I don't know, maybe they don't. But uh, the thesis statement pretty well sums up what you're trying to say. So Asaph says... Rightly, truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But I think Asaph is writing this after what he experienced in our next few verses, and, and we're going to look at that here in just a little bit. But Asaph starts off with the right premise. His thesis says that God is good. And we need to remember that. When, when things happen in our lives, and in our world that seem questionable and we wonder what in the world is going on, remember that God is good. But, even though Esau knew this in his heart, and he knew this in his head, when he looked around, look what verses 2 and 3 say. He says, but as for me, me personally... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. What he's saying is, I almost walked away from the Lord. I almost said, this isn't worth it. I almost said, I'm done. 
Why? Verse 3, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph said, I was envious of the wicked, and I was also envious of the prosperity of the wicked. Here's what Asaph is saying. Asaph says, I know God is good. I know that God blesses his followers. But he says, when I look around and I see the wicked getting blessed, the wicked live in big houses, the wicked have good jobs, the, the wicked get elected to office, the wicked keep getting richer, the wicked keep getting blessed, the wicked keep getting uh, honored, it seems like. And he said, I was envious of that. God's supposed to be blessing me. God's supposed to be taking care of me. Instead, he's blessing the wicked. Instead, he's blessing the ungodly. Look what he says about him in verses 4 and 5. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. He says their lives are trouble-free. They don't have the same problems I have. They don't have the same situations I have. Here I am trying to follow God, and they're not following God at all, and they live on easy street. They're getting blessed. They have the big house. They have the good jobs. They drive the nice cars. Look at verse 6. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. What he's saying here, they flaunt their sinful ways. In other words, they say, yes, I'm ungodly and I know it. Deal with it. That's just the way I am. I'm stronger than you are. I'm more powerful than you are. You have what I want, so I'm going to take your stuff. Might, the mighty getting stronger. Might makes right. Strength determines leadership. That's the way those wicked folks are. Verses, verse 7. Their eyes bulge with abundance. Some translations here say their eyes bulge with fatness. And when you see the word fat, when it describes people in Scripture, it's generally not talking as much about physical obesity as it is abundance and lazy and uh, dishonest. But I can't help but think, and I'm going to age myself when I use this illustration, but when I think of someone's eyes uh, bulging with fatness, I can't think but go back to the Star Wars movies and uh, Return of the Jedi and Jabba the Hutt. Uh, I, I just, the way that I, I can't, that, and that's the way he says, that's the way the wicked are. They, they, they flaunt their abundance. Whatever it is they want, they go get it. They, they just keep getting richer. They keep getting stuff. They keep getting all these things. Verses 8 through 10, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, as people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Now notice back in verse uh, 9, they set their mouth against the heavens. Where are the heavens? 
That's where God lives, right? In other words, they're setting their mouth against God. They're speaking against God. They're, they're talking about God. Have you ever heard the own wicked disparage God's name? Taking to God's name in vain, all that God. Well, what about God? So what about God? That's what these they, they brag about being against God. There was a fellow in the prison last week. Uh, he's a character. Uh, and the other chaplain and I, when the guys go down to lunch, we usually stand outside the chapel and talk to them because a lot of times that gives them opportunity to stop by and ask us questions or whatever. We, we try to be available for them. But uh, this one fellow said, right as he walked by the chapel, he said, there's no God. If there's a God in heaven, may he strike me dead right now. And all of the guys around him backed away up. <laughs> but Asaph sees this. And he says, well, where's God? Why is God letting them get away with this? Why, is, why do they keep getting blessed? Why do they keep getting more stuff? They scoff against God. Verse 11 they say, how does God know and is there knowledge in the Most High? These are, verse 11 is not describing a literal atheist who says there is no God. What they, they are describing what I call practical atheist. Asaph says there's a group of people that say, eh, God's not going to say anything. God's not going to judge us. Oh, this world's gone on for thousands of years and it's still standing. Where's God? Where, it's not that they're saying God doesn't exist, but it's saying God's not, gonna, not going to make me be accountable for what I've done. You see people living that way today? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. They mock God. In summary, the life of the wicked is easy. The life of the wicked is prosperous. And the life of a God follower is hard. And notice where that leads Asaph. We're going to look now at Asaph's conclusion. He says his godliness is vain. He says his understanding is worrisome. Look at verse 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Asaph says, I see the wicked being blessed. I see the wicked being prosperous. I see the wicked, even, the wicked even cursing God. And nothing's done to them. He says, have I tried to live a godly life for nothing? Have I been cleansing myself for nothing? He says, the wicked prosper. But he said, I get punished every morning when I wake up. I'm living through a difficult life. I want to stop just a second and come out of Asaph's day and if we could get into the DeLorean and come back to our day, 
Does this sound like this song could be written in 2023? It sounds just like our world. God's people have a hard time. We go through sickness. We go through relationship troubles. We go through economic troubles. We go through hard times. We go through chastening. And we see the wicked. Seems like nothing happens to them. They're blessed. They, they keep on getting richer. They keep on getting stuff. I work myself to death to drive a Ford Pinto. Y'all remember the Ford Pintos, right? Some of you don't. You'll, you'll ask your grandmama and grandfather about it. Y'all don't understand the Pintos. But we work hard to drive a Ford Pinto and our neighbor who's ungodly has a Mercedes. And we'll say, God, what's up? God, this doesn't seem right. And it got Asaph to the point in verse 2. He says, I almost walked away. I almost quit. Does that describe you this morning? Maybe you're questioning, why do I, why do I, why should I follow God? It seems like everything just, this dark cloud's over me all the time. This stuff is, it, it just, it keeps getting worse. It never gets better. This is awful. I thought that worshiping God meant God would, and following God, God was going to bless me and, and I'd have a good life and I'd have a great life and I'd have a blessed life. What in the world is going on? And, and we think about walking away. Can I tell you, you're not alone. You're not the only Christ follower that's thought that. You're not the only God follower that has thought that over the history of the world. Asaph thought that. But then something happened to Asaph. Asaph had a turning point. So we're going to look now at Asaph's turning point. We looked at his faltering faith, a man-oriented perspective. We looked at his conclusion that his godliness is vain. And now we're going to look at his turning point in verse 17. Going back to verse 16. And oh, I want to explain verse 15 before we do. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. What Asaph is saying here is I was losing my faith in God, but I did not want to say that out loud because it would discourage the rest of your people. I didn't want to discourage the next generation. I didn't want the next generation to say, well, if he's not going to follow God, I'm not going to follow God either. That's what that verse means. And verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Is there something going on in your life that is just too painful to think about? It's just too hard. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. Look at verse 17. Asaph says, it was too hard for me to think about until... I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood therein, or therein. That's hard to enunciate. Asaph said, I was messed up till I went to church. And this is one of the most incomplete verses in Scripture. Don't you want to know what happened? We don't get the conversation. We don't get to hear about how God instructed and taught Asaph. We don't know what happened, but what we do, or we know what happened. We don't know how it happens. But what we do know is 
Asaph went to the sanctuary of God and came out a changed person. God gave him a new perspective. And so when we look at Asaph's restored faith in the rest of this chapter, we're going to see Asaph looking with a God-oriented perspective. Asaph begins to be able to see the future of the wicked. Notice the end of verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I understood what was going to happen to them. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terror. As a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. When Asaph was seeing things from only his vantage point, from a human vantage point, he could only see the current situation. That current situation is the wicked are prospering. The wicked are being blessed. But now with God's help, he remembered there is more to this life than the present situation. Can I tell you that while the wicked may prosper in this life, when they die, they are without hope and they are without help. Think about this. Y'all heard of Howard Hughes? You know who Howard Hughes is? Nelson Rockefeller? Uh, Bill Gates? Elon Musk? What's one thing all those people have in common? They, they're rich, right? They're, we think of rich people. Gilligan's Island, Mr. Howell, Thurston Howell III. You know, rich people. Can I remind us of something today? While all these people have money in their lives, when Nelson Rockefeller died, when Howard Hughes died, a millisecond after their heart stopped beating on this earth, they were broke. You ever thought about that? Now, their kids may have had money, but for them... They were broke, and if they didn't know God, they were rich one second, and the next second, they're in hell. Have you ever thought about that no matter how prosperous the rich are on this earth, those who are ungodly are just a heartbeat away from hell? All of us. Y'all, this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you may think you got plenty of time. You may think everything's great. And it may be. You may have plenty of time. But you may not. There was a Puritan preacher named Jonathan Edwards. Uh, this was on my required reading list. I can't remember if it was in AP English in high school or in literature in college. But I had to read the writings of Jonathan Edwards and he preached a sermon once entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, and I don't know if you've ever read that or not. It, Jonathan Edwards is an interesting character. Uh, he, he died young. He was very much 
pro-vaccine uh, when the smallpox epidemic was going on in New England. He was one of the few intellectuals that thought vaccines were a good idea, and he allowed himself to be uh, vaccinated against smallpox, and he died a few weeks later as a result of that, which probably maybe not be a real good uh, a real good testimony for the vaccine. We know that smallpox vaccine ultimately wiped out smallpox, so it works. But that's got nothing to do with the sermon. His sermon centers in the hands of an angry God. He's a master of illustration. He's able to paint word pictures. It is said in re people that recorded this message that there was a man that heard that message that day that was in perfectly good health that got so tore up by his sermon that he had a heart attack and died. Uh, we hear, they talked about people fainting while he's... And, and one of the illustrations that he uses, he says that he, picture, he, he paints a big word picture about the flames of hell. And he says, picture the flames getting hot, and there they are snapping and cracking, and you can smell the smoke. And he said, above the flames of hell, there's a spider in his web. And he said, unbeknownst to the spider, the flames of that fire are slowly eroding at the edges of that web. And at some point, that spider is going to go into those flames and die. Then he says, you are that spider. As God is holding you, you're that person over the, and you may think you have plenty of time, but every clock, every time the top clock ticks, you are one second closer to die. And the flames are there, and eventually your web's going to break and you're going to die. Now that's a vivid word picture. But can we remember, get some perspective here? The rich may be blessed right now, but the moment they pass from this life into eternity, their torment's just beginning. You and I, I might drive a Ford Pinto or a Honda Civic or a Nissan Center or whatever. I might buy my clothes from Walmart, Goodwill, and a yard sale. But you know what? The minute I die, I'm going to be in the presence of my Savior for the rest of my eternity. And doesn't that change perspective? Asaph says, I forgot that. Asaph said, I was looking at things through a human perspective instead of looking at things with God's perspective. Can I tell you as we wrap this psalm up that we can have total confidence in God? In this life, and in death. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You, God, hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. God, I'm with you. And you're with me. Y'all, our world's going to get crazy. It's probably going to get crazy. 
You know what I've realized? There's not a thing I can do to change that. Now, I can try to vote for the right people, and I can try to do right and, and be light in a dark world, but the world's going to do what the world's going to do. Can I tell you a little secret? It's all going to burn up. That's where this is all headed. It gives me comfort to know that I can have confidence in God that no matter how crazy this world gets, that Marie and I have to go live in a cave somewhere. Y'all can come with us if you want to. We're, 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 we're equal opportunity cavers. Uh, it's okay. Because God's got this. God's going to take us through. And if somebody drops a bomb on our house and the house blows up, we're going to be with Jesus. God's got this. Asaph says, you're my confidence while I'm here, and I love the end of verse 24. And afterwards, you're going to receive me in glory. When we get to glory, Jesus is waiting on us. <clears throat> Have you ever thought about this? This world is the closest thing to heaven. A lost person's ever going to see. This messed up, sinful, crazy world, it's the closest thing to heaven a lost person will ever see. But you know what else? This old sinful, crazy world's the closest thing to hell a Christian's ever going to see. Amen? Amen. We can have confidence in God, and we can have complete contentment in God. Look at verses 25 and 26. Who do I have in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. All we need or all we want is found in God. Can I tell you? It's not be nice to have a nice house. And when I look at our house, our house is perfectly fine. we got a roof over our head. We've got heat. We've got air conditioning. My mother-in-law don't think we have heat, but uh, we have heat. We have air conditioning. We have vehicles that'll get us to and from work. We have clothes. We have too many clothes. We have a job. We got all we need. In this. We have each other. See, if I hadn't said that, I got fussed at on the way home. But you know what we have above all that? We have Jesus. If you got Jesus, what else do you need? Amen? Amen? We can have contentment with God. We can have contentment with Jesus regardless of our circumstances. Because you know why we go through hard things? But it, because it takes the hard times for our faith to develop. You tell somebody you have faith, well, how do you know you have faith? Because my faith's been tested. And I've come out the other side. And that's what Asaph says. Asaph gets to the end of all this in verses 27 and 28. He says, For indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for horror truth. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. This psalm starts with Asaph saying God blesses, 
the righteous and the good. He says, I had my doubts, I questioned all that, but he wraps it up by saying, all I need is God. I will spend the rest of my days declaring his ways and who he is. Can I tell you that's what we ought to be doing? So as we wrap up, how's your vision this morning? Are you nearsighted or farsighted? If you're nearsighted or farsighted, you have to get glasses to either that or deal with it because you can't see properly. Uh, my dad had trifocals, and uh, he, he got a kick out of his trifocals. He borrowed something that Bill Cosby said. I said, Dad, what are those three lenses for? And he says, uh, well, the top lens is for me to see way far away. The bottom lens are for me to see up close. He said, that middle lens is for me to read my medicine. And uh, but he had tried. Bottom line is, if you're far-sighted or near-sighted, you need help, right? We need to be right-sighted. We need to be God-sighted. We need to learn to live this life with an eternal perspective. Amen. Amen. Can I encourage you that if you're not a Christ follower with us morning, you need to be. I'm not promising you a problem-free life. If you don't trust Jesus. Because if I told you that, I'd be lying. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, the devil may come after you at that point harder than he's ever come after you before. But you know what that tells you? That tells you that you got something worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. You say, well, how do I trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord? Admit you're a sinner? Understand you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough or smart enough or rich enough or pay enough money. There's nothing you can do yourself. God knew that, so he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect sin-filled life, to die on the cross as his sacrifice for the price of sin. For my sin, for your sin, Jesus Christ on the cross takes your sin. And he gives you his righteousness. And when you say, Lord, I can't save myself, but Lord, save me. I believe Jesus is God's son. I believe he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. Romans tells us that, Romans 10 tells us, you'll be saved when you make a prayer like that. And maybe you've done that in like Asaph. You've looked around and got your perspective messed up. Let's live an earthly life because we're here. God has called us here to this world, in this world, where we are right now so that we can be lights for him. Let's live in this world with a heavenly perspective. Because if we know what's happening after this, whatever happens until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. How about you? Let's make Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. And thank you for giving us this very personal song from Asaph. And if we're honest, Father, we've all found ourselves where Asaph is. And I don't know what happened to Asaph when he came into the sanctuary that day, but 
I pray, Father, for those of us who are going through difficult times. No matter what it is we're facing, Father, can I, will you encourage us? And can you help us to keep on worshiping you? Keep on going to the sanctuary. And help us have a perspective that is centered on eternity and not on this world. Father, if there's anyone here today that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray the Holy Spirit would walk on their heart in the coming days and hours and minutes. I pray you would give them confidence to repent, to trust in Jesus, and to make him their Lord and Savior. Father, those who are discouraged, those who are going through difficult times, I pray you would restore their perspective to them. Readjust their eyes, Father, so they can see with your vision. Forgive us of our sins, Father. I pray that you would bless this food that we are about to eat. I pray, Father, as we leave this place today, we would be like Asaph. We would leave this place today telling everybody about your glory and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name.